You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Let's take a moment and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you, dear Lord. Again, we call you Father. You said that we are to pray thy kingdom come. So, Lord, it's so appropriate for your people to cry out and say, Heaven, come down. As Isaiah said, Oh, that God would rend the heavens and just come down. And, Lord, we thank you that in worship we corporately gather together and we celebrate you. And we pray, dear Lord, even as we go to your word, that, dear Lord, our hearts are made fertile and sensitive to what you want to say. And dear Lord, may everything that we do be for your honor and your glory and you alone. And we give you the praise in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians. And I want to say thank you to the Praise and worship team, I tell you, I have, I have been before the Lord, and I thank God for that. I never take that, I never take it for granted. I talk to too many people who sit in churches that are dead, and um, my heart goes out to them. I feel sorry for them. But Ephesians chapter 2 And we're going to pick up at verse 14. Years ago, Sheila and I were on a plane. We were heading to Mayo Clinic. And um, we took off out of Memphis. We were on our way to Mayo, and uh, just her and I, I was going there to be there for a week of tests and a bunch of stuff they were going to be doing to me to try to figure out what was wrong. And um, that really was the worst experience I have ever had in my life flying. I have never heard a, a pilot get upset and his voice break. They, were, they had a lot of stewardess and a lot of trainees, stewardess that were being trained, and so they were doing all of this. And, and we got in the middle of one of these, these uh, warm fronts and cold fronts meeting, and when that extremely cold Arctic air was hitting that warm air, and I don't want to sound like a meteorologist, but I can tell you this much, up there where we were, it was unbelievable. We were dropping, and I've never, I've been in planes that would drop and rise and drop and fall, but I have never been in a plane that was being pushed to the side. The plane would all of a sudden just do this and jerk to one side or the other. Finally, the pilot made this statement. He said, he, 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 he said stewardess, he said, sit down right now. And when he said that, it was all the urgency in the world. I've never heard a pilot speak that way. And Buddy, he had everybody's undivided attention. A stewardess grabbed the cart, sat right where she was, and that plane just began to twist and be distorted in all kinds of movements. And I literally thought, I'm never going to make it to Mayo Clinic. You know, sometimes in life, that's the way life seems to be. Uh, we're, we're, we're in a church. We are a body of believers. Paul's been telling us that we are all secure and sealed in Christ. And I built a corral 
uh, back when we started this series on Ephesians to kind of demonstrate and left a doorway and we have a picture there of Christ in the doorway, a, a life-size silhouette of Christ to, to, to help us understand what it means to be in Christ. And the only way to get in that corral, the only way to know that security is to go through Christ by simple childlike faith. For we're saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. It's not anything that you and I can do. It's just simply receiving what Christ has done on the cross. Once we are in Christ, we are sealed, we're secured. Our salvation is complete. We can't add or take away. We can only prove that our salvation is genuine by the way we live our lives. Now, Paul is picking up here in verse 14, and I want you to look here very closely in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, and we're going to read down through verse 22. He says, For he himself is our peace. Now, he's talking about Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his in his life or in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came, he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. He's talking to the Gentile and the Jew. Verse 18, for through him, that is through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him you two are being built together, together to become a dwelling, now look at this, in which God lives by His Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. What Paul wants you and I to know is what God's been doing. He wants us to know what God has been doing in Christ, what God is doing in His church. And so in verse 15, Paul says something here. Now, Paul wants you and I to understand that the position that we hold in Christ has come through a process. In other words, first of all, Paul speaks here to the method. Look at verse 15 again. He says, by abolishing in his law, the law in his flesh, the law with its commandments and regulations. Paul says this, God's method of reconciling, of bringing us into a right relationship between us and God is by way of the flesh of Jesus Christ. In other words, you and I have to understand that God simply did this. Are you looking? Just like the Africans would say, when I ask, listen, how do I teach people in a primitive village never heard before, and I'm looking at this old pastor, Simon Jane, and I said, how do I tell these people what it means that God, the Word, became flesh? And he took my jacket, he said, Nyama. Then he took my chest and he said, Mwari. And he said, Mwari akafeka munyama. And that African language simply is this, that God took the flesh of man put it on and invaded, stepped into his creation. 
So this is what Paul's saying. The only way that God could reconcile sinful man with a holy God would be that God would have to step into his creation. He would have to put on man's flesh. He would have to become a man. And in essence, through Christ, he would reconcile the world to himself. His method is flesh. I told the story and tell the story periodically of the grandmother who had been left with the responsibility of taking care of her her two-year-old grandson. The mother, a single mom, had gone to work. In a little while, she would call back like she often did to check at home and see how how the grandmother and how how her son were doing. When she called back, she didn't get an answer. She called again, didn't get an answer. She called a few minutes later, didn't get an answer, and she became concerned. So finally, she called the police department. She said, I need somebody to go check on my mother who's taking care of my two-year-old grandson. She then got permission, left her job, got in her car, got home. When she got home, there there was an ambulance there. There were policemen there. Blue lights were flashing. She went running into the backyard, and they were pulling her her mother and her two-year-old out of a swimming pool. What had happened, the two-year-old had wandered out of the sliding glass door. The grandmother had gotten distracted, gotten tied up. The two-year-old had fallen into the swimming pool. What they were able to deduce from this was at that point the grandmother saw the child and in all the love and everything possible, she dove into the pool in an attempt to rescue her two-year-old son. She didn't know how to swim. She drowned and the two-year-old drowned as well. True story. You see, the grandmother was willing, but the grandmother was not able. What Paul is telling you and I in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God would dive into the cesspool of our sinful world. He would pay the supreme penalty. He would reconcile man to himself in his flesh. And that's what Paul's saying here. You see, what separates us from all that... Listen to this. What separates us from all the religions of the world, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Hare Krishna, all of the different religions of the world is one word. Savior. Savior. That single word right there identifies us uniquely from all of the rest of the religions of the world. The theological terminology here is incarnation or incarnate. When we talk about incarnate Christ, this is what we're saying. Mwari akafeka munyama. What we're saying is, is that our creator God, when sin like a virus affected creation that God would put on the flesh of man and he would become incarnate. He would become like one of us. What did the angels say to the shepherds? Emmanuel, God what? You finish it, God what? With us. This is what it means to be incarnate. Now, Now stay with me here because you and I are in some ways incarnate as well. Now let me be careful here, but you and I are the temple. If you're a believer today, if you're a Christian today, then in essence we are a form of that incarnation because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God in essence is wrapped in the flesh of us. His Holy Spirit is in us. And we are a representation, a missionary when they are indigenous 
means this. They, in some ways, a missionary sees themselves as Christ to that community of, of people. They learn the language. They learn how they dress. They learn the culture. They begin to learn all these things. I've told you many times walking around in Zimbabwe, chi-chi, chi-chi, chi-chi. What is this? What is this? Like a little bitty boy. People would talk fast. Tarurai vishoma vishoma. Speak slowly. Diddy mukumanaka diki diki. I was saying, I'm a little bitty boy. Talk slowly to me. Chi-chi, what is this? I was becoming a Zimbabwean. Though my skin was white, their skin was black, in essence, I was becoming an African so that I could be indigenous and incarnate, be a representative of Christ. That's what you are where you live, where you work. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. It is not about your paycheck. It is not about your job. It is not about your education. It's not about the advancement that you're seeking. It's not about your security. It's not about your CDs. It's not about your retirement. It's not about your social security. It's not about your package. You have been called by Christ to be an incarnate example of Him where you live, where you work. That's your responsibility. And this is what Paul was saying here. The method in verse 15 is in the flesh. The motive, look at verse 14, to make the two one. What is he talking about here? Jew and Gentile is what, first of all, that's part of what he's saying to the Jew and Gentile there at the church at Ephesus who were divided, he told us last week, by circumcision, by culture, by Levitical law, by the fact of being covenant and outside the covenant family. Paul said, listen, Jew and Gentile are brought together into one body, one building. He uses two analogies here. He uses a body and a building. John Stott wrote a book called The New Society. In that book is a commentary on the book of Ephesians. He said that what God is trying to do here in verse 15, and what Paul is trying to say here is that God is in the process, listen to this, of making a new man. That's what he's trying to do in your life. That's what he's trying to do in my life. He's trying to make a new man, a new woman. That's what God is in the business of. And the motive here is to make the two one, it's reconciliation. Look at verse 16, what Paul will say here. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul said, and in this one body, well, what is that one body? It is the body of Christ. Paul said, in this one body, the body of Christ, God is reconciled. To reconcile both of them, who are both of them? Jew and Gentile, reconciling both of them to each other and both of them to you, to God. To God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. My friend, I wonder sometimes what's wrong with us. Because when I look at marriages, when I look at homes, when I look at families, when I look at lives, when I look at us so often, I don't see peace and I don't see reconciliation. Paul saying here, God's motive was reconciliation and the implication here is that we are reconciled in Christ and we are reconciled with God. There's nothing else that needs to be done. There's assurance here. John said this in John, 1 John 5, 13 and 14. He said, these things have I written that you may what? That you may know that you have eternal life. 
William Randolph Hearst, very, very wealthy, affluent man, read of an exquisite piece of art. He was just unbelievably impressed with the reviews on this piece of art. And, 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 and as he began to study it, finally he called in one of, his, one of his agents and he said, listen, he said, I want you to go out and I want you to scan the world. I want you to find this piece of art. So his agent went and he went he went to art galleries. He went to studios. He went to back, um, back roads and places in Paris and London, all over the world, looking for this piece of art because William Randolph Hearst wanted it. And finally, this agent returned and Hearst looked at him. He came into his office and he said, did you find that piece of art? He said, yes, sir, I did. He said, where? He said, sir, in your warehouse. Sir, in your warehouse. I'm going to tell you this much. Some of you in this room are looking for something that you already have. When you and I are in Christ, we're sealed, we're secured. It's finished. It's complete. We don't have to go around. We don't have to constantly, well, am I saved? Wondering if I'm saved. Going over and over and over and over again. Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews said, leaving those things which are behind, it's time to put some things to rest and begin to grow and mature and become Christ-like. It's already there for some of you. Quit searching for it. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this, For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. We were all given the one Spirit to drink. That's the Holy Spirit. You see, God's method is in the flesh. God's motive is reconciliation. But it's even more. He's not only talking about a body, he's talking about a building. He's talking about a temple here. He's talking about a holy temple. You see, in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, Paul's talking individually. He's talking to us as individuals. You're dead in your trespasses and sin. Paul talks about our condition before Christ. Paul talks about how for by grace are you saved, through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not a worse. You're God's workmanship, poema. You're God's poem. You're God, you, know, you, you see, all of that in verses 1 through 10 is individually. Now in verse 11 through 22, Paul is talking to us collectively as a church. And he's saying this, we're like a body, we're like a building. And in verse 16, he says, first of all, he said, in this one body we've been reconciled, both of us, to God through the cross. We are one with Christ and with each other. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul said this. Now listen closely. Now you are the body. Listen. Say amen if you're listening. Now you are the body of Christ. Hear that again. Now you are the body of Christ. Say that with me. Now you are the body of Christ. Say that to your neighbor. Now listen to what Paul says here as he finishes this. He says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. He's emphasizing the fact that we are all part of a body. And that body is the body of Christ. Years ago, I was in a Holiday Inn here over in Meridian. I was sitting in that Holiday Inn in Meridian. I'd gone down for breakfast. I was by myself. While I was sitting there, I looked over, and there was a young lady who had no arms. 
No arms, nothing. They were both completely gone. Undoubtedly, she had been born that way. She was sitting, beautiful young lady, sitting there with her feet, with her feet propped up on the table like they were her arms and her hands. She meticulously would take her two toes and she would pick her fork up and feed herself with her feet just perfectly. She would take her feet and wipe her mouth. And I, 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 I was trying, you know, in that situation, you're trying not to draw attention. You don't want to look. But before long, I was just mesmerized by the, how meticulous she was as she used her feet. But imagine if I'd gone up to her and said, if there were a way for you to have arms and hands, would you want that? Even though you're so, so able to use your feet, you know what she would say. She would say, I would give anything to have what you have, arms and hands. I wrote this down even as I thought about that. Some of you in this building here have forced this church and its ministry to feed others with other limbs, with limbs that would be, be better used for something else. Some of us are having to do things with limbs that God never intended us to use because you are failing to provide the leadership in an area of ministry and to be involved and to be plugged in. There's a scene in Gladiator. I love this scene. When Russell Crowe, I think, who plays the part of the gladiator, the Spaniard, they call him. They're getting ready to go out into a, into a mock battle there in the Roman Colosseum before the emperor and before a crowd of people. He, he looks at them. He's a commander. He's a military commander. And he says to them, as one, as one, and he looked at them and he, first of all, he assessed how many of them had experienced in the military. And, and there's a point where you look at those men where they lock those shields that have been given to them and they lock them into place. They lock them into one another and they come down behind that shield and they're completely in a circle now. And all of a sudden, all this begins to take place. These, 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 these warriors begin to pour out in their chariots and it looks like a battle that there's no hope. But he, he tells them, he says, as one. He keeps saying, as one. And they're buckled and held together there, and finally they have victory. My friend, this is what Paul is trying to say to this church and what he would try to say to so many churches. Listen, when you and I are not together, a divided church is the devil's delight. A divided marriage is the devil's delight. A divided home is the devil's delight. A divided church is the devil's delight. A divided nation is the devil's delight. The problem in this nation today, we don't have leaders. The problem in the homes today and the problems in this city, in this community, we don't have leaders. You never look more like the devil than when you're bringing division. I don't know if there was an amen or an oh no. You see, God has not called you and I to be lone rangers. We are all, Paul said, we are all part of a body. We're all part of a body. Imagine if parts of your body got up this morning and said, I think I'm just going to hang around the house. I don't think I'm going to go anywhere today. Your leg just said, I don't think I'm going to do nothing today. I'm just going to lay here and sleep. Let me tell you how you'd look coming across the parking lot. You'd be dragging that leg, right? There's a lot of churches that are limping along because of that very reason. Imagine your body. 
Remember your body says, listen, I'm going to take the day off or I'm going to lay around or imagine a part of your body refusing to follow the directions of your mind. You see, Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 2.16. He talked about you and I having the mind of Christ, tuned in to the mind of Christ. And so the church here, Paul's saying, we are reconciled with each other. We're reconciled to God because we're in one body and that body is the body of Christ. A divided church will never be able to achieve the Great Commission. Yesterday we, we did shine. We were teamed up with Pine Lake, Broadmoor, some other churches. We had a lot of people who came in here. We had an opportunity to walk each one of them through the gospel. And I want you to know something. That was the leadership of this church the leadership of our people that ensured that every one of those people who ate a meal had an opportunity first to hear the gospel. We had another team that went to an area that we had been told was kind of a high crime area. They went there and they took a big old cooler of hot chocolate. And their thought was it was 37 degrees. Their thought was there's nobody that's going to come out. We're not going to have an opportunity to speak to anybody. They said, man, people came everywhere. People were coming around. And we had an opportunity uh, not only to pray over this community and to pray over these people, but we had the opportunity to take the gospel. Where were you yesterday? Watching TV? Playing around? Taking the day off? Well, I deserve the day off. You don't know how hard I work. You didn't work no harder than any of us. I'm at this office many a day before any of you ever get up. You see, we're a building. We're a body. And when we're not working together, when you and I are not plugged into ministry, when we're not all collectively involved in this, then listen, we're limping along and we're not what God wants us to be. Christ living in you. Fanny Crosby said this, take my life and let it be, listen to this, consecrated. What's that word mean? It means to be set apart as holy. Listen again. Take my life and let it be Lord to thee. That's you and I every morning getting up and saying, Lord, this is Private First Class Jeff Parker. I'm reporting for duty. God, you're my commander in chief. What do you want me to do today? It is being plugged in and, and, and being used by God. And all of us are involved in that. So Paul said, listen, you and I are a body. But look at verse 21, what he goes on to say. He says in 21, he uses another analogy here. He says, in him the whole building is joined together. I like the King James here because it says fitly joined together, I think is the wording there. Collectively, what Paul was saying, we're not only a body, we're a house. We're a building. Now, I don't know about you, but anybody ever had a rat in the attic? Kathy's laughing because the mice love her office here. They don't bother Heather's office. They don't bother my office. They just go to Kathy's office and they die in the wall. <laughs> they meet Jesus in Kathy's office. All the mice meet Jesus in Kathy's office. And, and I can tell you this much. There comes a time when we don't go around Kathy's office. <laughs> Her office stinks. But let me say this, when you're not living the life that God would have you to give, live, when you're living in sin and rebellion and disobedience, do you know what you are? You're a rat in the house of God. You are a dead mouse in the house of God. 
just stink up the place. You just stink up the place. You see, we're, Paul said we're a building. He said in verse 21, in him the whole building is joined together. Listen, do you get that? In him the building is joined together. In fact, Paul will go on to say he's the cornerstone. He's the foundation. The reality is, if I walk over here and go into this, in this corral, okay, you and I understand this, we've already seen this, there comes a point in my life laden with sin, I feel the, I feel the weight of my rebellion, my disobedience, I'm, I'm reaping what I sow, I'm, getting, I'm bending farther and farther over, I'm like a sweet man that she, one of their patients at the dental office there, when you see this man, he's been all the way over, this is the way he walks, this is the way some of us look without Christ, sin and the weight of my rebellion, the weight of my sin is just bowing me down and the farther down the, I go, the heavier I get and and all the while, Jesus there is saying, Come unto me, that all ye that labor and are heavy laden, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll take that. I'll take that, Jeff. I'll take that load. And so here we are, and finally we come to that point that we encounter Christ. He takes the load of sin, the weight of sin, the pressure of sin. He takes my rebellion, and he, and he takes it, and it's there nailed on the cross. Now, now I, through childlike faith, receive Christ as my Lord and Savior, and now I'm in here. Let me tell you what the problem is with some of you and sometimes even in the life of your pastor let me tell you what the problem is in some of your homes you see out here's the world I can't get to the world but I'm, I'm going to listen to it as much as I can you see what happens the enemy the enemy can't get in here but I tell you what the enemy will do he'll find some way to filter over his messages into your life into your family, into your marriage. He'll tell you things. He'll use TV. Listen, he'll use, uh, he'll use this or that. He'll use a lot of different things. Some of you have authority speaking into your home, into your marriage, into your life that you need to stop and say no more. There's some programs you and I don't need to watch. There's some music we don't need to hear. There's some friendships that we need to cut off. There are some things that we need to stop because, listen, the enemy is getting access into our life. He's speaking authority and he's undermining the building. That's what he's doing. The Jew understood this. They understood this. The Old Testament dwelling, the tabernacle. These people, were, these people were familiar. They understood what Paul meant when he was talking about the tabernacle. The Bible says, God even says, I'll tabernacle with man. What God says is this, I'm going to come down and I'm going to live with you. So when the Jew would pick up in the Exodus and all of that wondering, those Levites would set up the tabernacle. They would set up the, each, each section all the way into the Holy of Holies where the priests would go once a year. This was the tabernacle. They understood that this was a place that God dwelt. When Solomon came along, he would build a temple. I love the story of the tabernacle. Steve Taylor years ago came and preached here. And he reminded us when the, when the Hebrew people were wandering in the wilderness and they were setting up the tabernacle that the covering, some of the covering was made out of the hide of sea cows. Okay, it was made out of the hide of sea cows. Now they had a lot of hide from sea cows. Do you know why? Because this is what they made with the sea cow hide. 
They made their, they made their sandals. They made their shoes. Now I want you to, because some of you need to see this, I want you to take a left from Ephesians and look at Deuteronomy 29.5. Go to the 29th chapter of Deuteronomy, all the way back there, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all the way back there to the beginning. The fifth book of your Bible. And uh, when you get it, I want you to say amen. Wow, some of you are faster than I am. Okay, in Deuteronomy 29, verse 5. Okay, I want you to watch this because you may say, well, this is a strange verse to put here. Let me tell you, now that I just gave you that little fact, that little bit of knowledge, it means a lot more. In Deuteronomy 29, verse 5, during the 40 years that I led you through the desert, your clothes did not wear out, nor what? Nor did the sandals on your feet. You see, when you and I put God first... When we begin to realize that, hey, we are part of a body collectively. We're part of a building collectively. And we begin to grasp that and understand that we're all members of one body. We're all bricks in God's building, built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. In fact, 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5 says this. Listen to this. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones. He uses here the word lithos, living stones, small pebbles are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Paul, I mean Jesus said it in Matthew 16, 13 through 19 when he looked at Peter and said, Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church. And my friend, he used the word Petra, speaking of himself. He was saying, Peter, I am the Petra, you're the Petros. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Peter would remember that and he'd say, we are lithos, we're Petros, we're little stones. Now why that is important? Because right now the Catholic church is without what? They're without a pope. Their understanding is that the Pope, the papacy, is, is the picture of the foundation, the Petra. They interpret that as Jesus looking at Peter and saying, Peter, you're the Petra, and upon this faith, this declaration of your faith, I'll build my church. But that's not what Matthew says. Matthew said, Peter, you're a Petros. I am the Petra, Jesus said, and upon that, I will build my church. And you and I are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's why, listen to this, and we'll close in a moment, nothing shakes us. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust a sweeter frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You see, that may not mean anything to you tomorrow, but when you go and a pediatrician looks at you and says your five-year-old has, has leukemia or your two-year-old doesn't have long to live or they look at you and say you have an advanced form of breast cancer and I don't know that we caught it in time, all that matters is, is that my life is built on Christ. And I'm not shaken. Because that foundation, Paul said in verse 20, is listen, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus. He's not talking about the Old Testament prophets here. 
He's talking about those New Testament teachers, those apostles, those that were carrying the message and the writings, the, the, the doctrines that we would build our theology on. The scripture. In my LTG this past week, I meet with Anthony, and Anthony and I were sitting there, and I said, Anthony, there's two words I want you to never forget. Final authority. Final authority. Final authority. Understand this, Anthony. The Word of God is your final authority. And that's what Paul was saying here. He's saying fitly joined together. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be, as He chooses, desiring a gift. A particular gift makes no difference whatsoever. God puts you and I in the body of, of, of Christ and He gives us certain responsibilities. He places some of us are an eye, some of us are a finger, some of us are a toe, some of us are a knee, some of us are a kneecap, some of us, we're all a part. And you may say, well, wait a minute, I'm just a, I'm just a, I feel like I'm just a little toe. Well, catch that little toe on the side of a bed and see what happens. The entire body becomes concerned about that small toe. The toe could say, you bunch of knotheads up on top of there, you eyes, you should have been listening. You should have been looking, ears, you should have been listening, and, and eyes, you should have been looking. And you know the, But I can tell you this, you hit that little toe, what, is that, what does the rest of the body do? The rest of the body is focused on that little toe. You say, well, I'm not very important. My friend, you may be the most important person here. You see, we've got to understand that we are a body. We are a building and we're joined together. We are in Christ. Years ago, years ago, a little boy, two-year-old little boy, had wandered out of his home and had wandered out into the... This was out in Kansas, out in the, in the Midwest. And if you've ever seen that corn... That corn is literally, you can't reach to the top of that corn. You could, a grown man could stand out in that corn and raise his hands and nobody see him. A little boy, a little farming community, a little two-year-old boy went out and wandered out into that cornfield. It was a cold, cold night like last night. That family, when they realized they couldn't find that little boy, they shouted, they began to run through that cornfield, running through that cornfield, and then finally a whole community, the entire community gathered. True story, a whole community gathered. They all begin to go out, just going out in every direction. And, and, and it, it was starting, to, you know, dust. It, it was starting to get dark and the sun was going down. It was getting bitter, bitter, bitter cold. And they did everything they could. And finally, with, with torches through the night, they were walking, just wandering around through that cornfield. When all of a sudden a man came, a farmer, an old farmer came, and he, he called them back in and he said, Folks, he said, let's just join hands and let's join hand to hand and make a, and make a solid wave and go across this cornfield. And they began to make their way. The front page of that newspaper the next day was a group of people who had circled and there laying was a little two-year-old boy curled up and he was dead. And the caption on that paper read, if only we had joined hands sooner. I'm going to tell you people, you listen to me. Some of you in this room do absolutely nothing for the kingdom of God. You're not joined in, you're not plugged in. You're not investing your life into the kingdom of God. 
And my friend, because of that, people are dying and going to hell. Some of you in this room are so self-centered. You think your life's the most important thing in the world. You're ta- you're, it's either your ailments, your problems, what you like, what you don't like. That's why so often marriages fall apart. That's why homes fall apart. That's why churches fall apart. That's why nations fall apart. It ain't all about you. In fact, let me tell you what Jesus said. You want to change your life? You deny yourself. Just, just, don't, even, just don't even think about yourself. Mary... I'm out. It's not about me anymore. Parent, not about me anymore. Children, it's not about me anymore. Everybody's investing for everybody else. Church, I'm just a servant. Let me serve. Where do you need me? What do you want me to do? Some of you are not listening. Young parents, listen to what I'm telling you. Listen closely, young parent. There may come a day when your son or daughter is wandering out there. There may come a day when they're out there wandering around, lost in the world, like that little two-year-old boy. And the only hope they'll have is a church that's got their hands joined together, men and women of God, who are walking through this old world hand in hand, united, and they, they come up on your son, your daughter, maybe a young man, young woman, maybe struggling, maybe just about at the end of their rope. You're not there. You don't know what's going on in their life. And they share Christ. They encourage. They pick up. They lift up. And one day you'll thank God for those churches that are able to link hands. Paul said, we're a building, we're a body. But let me ask you this before we pray. Are you a part of that? Are you in Christ? Has there ever come a point in your life that you came under the conviction of sin? You felt this and sensed the power of God's Holy Spirit wooing you, speaking to you, calling you to give your life and to become a follower of Christ. I'm not talking about being a church member. There's going to be a lot of church members in hell. I'm not talking about baptism. There's a lot of baptized people that are already in hell and a lot more on their way. I'm talking about somebody that is a follower of Jesus Christ who's a part of the body of Christ, somebody who's sealed and secured in that corral right there, somebody who's a part of his building, somebody whose life is built on that foundation. Do you know Christ? I'm going to ask you to stand with heads bowed and with eyes closed. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus. and Lord, we pray right now for the power of your Holy Spirit to speak to men and women and boys and girls in this room. And Lord, if there's one here that does not know you, if there's one here that's never given their life to you, if there's one here, dear Lord, that in all honesty they know if they died that they would not go to heaven. But Lord, you've spoken to their heart today and you're inviting them to come. You're knocking. You're knocking on that heart's door. You're knocking on the door of their heart and you're saying to them, why don't you let me in? I pray, dear Lord, if there's a man or a woman, a boy or girl here that does not know if they're a Christian, they don't know if they died where they'd spend eternity, I pray, dear Lord, today that they would settle that and that they would invite you to come in, come into their hearts, that they would open up the door of their heart and say, Lord, come in and forgive me of my sin. Be my Savior. 
I pray, dear Lord, that people would pray that prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've been living a selfish life. I'm separated from you. Lord, forgive me. Come into my heart. Cleanse me of my past. Make me a new creation. You said, Lord, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Lord, do that today. If there's one here that does not know you. And Lord, we'll give you the glory and the honor. And We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.